This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Monday the 23rd of August 2021. And Norman, Australia, for better or worse, sometimes likes to compare itself to other countries, especially the UK and the US. And earlier in the pandemic, we were pretty happy to not be seeing the the spikes in coronavirus cases that they saw over there. And of course, the the death and disease that's happened with that. But one thing that they were really beating us at up until quite recently was vaccination rates. But in the last couple of weeks, Australia has the shape of our curve in terms of vaccinating Australians has gone almost to the roof. And we're actually vaccinating more people per million a week now than either the UK or the US were even at their peak vaccination rates, which is a really great result. Yeah. So if you adjust for population size, I don't think the US or the UK ever got beyond the Australian Australian equivalent of 200,000 doses a day. And what we're at now is 300,000 doses a day, at least we were by the end of last week. So that's that's really fantastic. It's a sort of level that we need to achieve to achieve early immunisation of the entire population. And the ABC's data journalists estimate that if that rate maintains itself, we will have immunised every Australian, eligible Australian, by Christmas. I mean, that would be the dream. Is that obviously at the moment there's a lot of people who were waiting for vaccination because either they weren't eligible or they, the vaccine that they that they wanted to get was not available to them. And there's a lot of people who've gone, I'm just going to get AstraZeneca, I'm, I'm just going to go out and get it. There's also more supply of Pfizer, uh, Moderna's coming online next month. There's a lot sort of happening at the moment. Do you think we're going to be able to keep that rate up all the way to Christmas to get to that milestone? So you would hope that it, it, w- it will be able to be maintained. They've got increased supplies coming in from September and already had the Polish supplies coming in. But a lot of it does depend on younger people getting Astra, which they've come forward for um, in significant numbers in New South Wales. And I think they're beginning to in Victoria as well. One can only hope that there is no longer a supply issue moving forward. But at 300,000, it will test the supply at the moment. There's obviously... A lot of Australians who are really gung-ho for getting the vaccine, we wouldn't be seeing these numbers if they weren't. But there still are some people who are not sure, who have some questions about it. And Joan has written in saying she's having conversations with people where people are saying, you can still catch the virus and you can still pass it on if you get the vaccine. So why bother getting vaccinated? Two primary reasons for getting vaccinated. One is to protect yourself against severe illness. So that's what both vaccines do that to a 90-95% level. So the risk is reduced dramatically of ending up in hospital, ending up in ICU and ending up dying. So that's the reason you do it for yourself and both vaccines work incredibly well. The secondary reason you do it is to protect those around you and the community at large. So these vaccines... The the hurdle for these vaccines for approval by the regulators, and we talked about this a lot on Coronacast last year, was to achieve a certain level of protection against disease, the sort of thing that I was just talking about. Um, There was no criterion for the vaccines to reduce infection, actual infection. But the assumption was that good vaccines would resist infection. And the reason is that respiratory vaccines have not had a great history of preventing infection itself. Measles does very well, but some of the others haven't, like influenza. Flu shot only gets about 50 to 60% protection, doesn't it? Well, yeah, yes, probably even less than that for infection, but it's 50 to 60% against, against symptomatic disease. But fortunately, uh, Pfizer, Moderna, Astra, and probably Novavax as well, 
all reduce infection as well. And they do it to a varying level. And it's, let's say it's round about 50% with the Delta variant. Nobody's absolutely sure what the numbers are, but let's say on average, it's round about 50% reduction in chances of getting infected. So that's another reason why you get immunized, because you're half as likely to get infected and therefore transmit the virus to somebody else. So that protects you and your family. Yep, not 100%, but it's 50%, and 50% is pretty good, and it's pretty amazing for a respiratory vaccine. So those are the two main reasons. And 50%, you might say to yourself, well, why am I going to do it for just 50%? But if actually you do that on a population-wide basis, so the virus has only got half the number of people that it can infect because of immunization, that's huge in terms of the virus having to find other people to infect, and it may be less likely to do so. So these, although these numbers might seem small to you individually, they're large when you map it to the population as a whole. The other thing I just want to go back to in terms of that 300,000 a day is, is that's an average. And you've just got to make sure that people in various areas that may be disadvantaged, like Northwestern Corridor in Melbourne, Southwest Corridor in Sydney, are being immunised, as well as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. Because you could have a very high average, but it's in wealthier suburbs, better educated suburbs, less less disadvantaged suburbs than not. So just got to watch those statistics as well, because they could come back to bite us when we say we could open up at certain percentages um, if indeed there are large vulnerable populations left in Australia. Well, we've got a question from regional Victoria. Felicity's in Shepparton. She's um, they're experiencing an outbreak and she's had one dose of Pfizer and is wondering how much she is protected against the virus. So not very much in terms of infection, but a reasonable amount in terms of protection against disease. So you've probably got about 30% protection um, against the disease itself as opposed to 70 or 80 with second doses. Protection against infection with the first dose is not absolutely clear. And another person in a different regional part of Australia, uh, Josie's in Tasmania. She's over 60 and is feeling apprehensive about the AstraZeneca vaccine, so she hasn't been vaccinated yet and is looking for alternatives. Well, there are no alternatives. Over 60s need to get the Astra vaccine. Um, It's safe and effective in over 60s. That's what's available. And 90, 95% of 60-year-olds should be, um, over 60-year-olds should be um, immunised with the Astra vaccine you are very shortly going to be in a queue behind 12-year-olds, and quite rightly so, because you've got a vaccine available. There's no shortage of it. Go out and get uh, immunised. Don't wait, because if there's an outbreak in Tasmania, you'll be vulnerable. Get immunised. You only have to look to Sydney to see what's happening to people in their 60s who haven't been vaccinated, who are in hospital with this virus. Yep, no boomer entitlement here. Get immunised. And a question from Miranda about the Melbourne lockdown saying, you always say, Norman, you always say, and you do, I can vouch for this, every day that you lock down early saves a week at the other end. Uh, And Miranda's asking how on earth Melbourne numbers are going up so quickly, despite the fact that they did lock down really early. Well, I'm not sure the Victorian authorities really understand that fully themselves. It's likely there's been more than one incursion from New South Wales into Victoria, and they're dealing with um, the virus on on multiple fronts. And as the virus spreads in the community, more fronts are opening up. So one problem that they've got in Victoria is that people are coming forward for testing, not in as large numbers as New South Wales, but they're also waiting for three or four days with symptoms before they come forward for testing. So even though the testing's coming back within 24 hours really well, 
the contact tracers are finding people who've been circulating in the community for four days before they get tested. So it's not on day one, it's actually on day four. So that multiplies the complexity for each case. So you've got you've got hidden chains of transmission in the Melbourne community simply because people are turning up late for testing. You've got to turn up as early as possible when even there's there's only the slightest doubt in your mind that this might be COVID. Go and get tested because that's really important. And then you've got situations like the Royal Melbourne Hospital where um, somebody comes in, they're positive, been on the wards for a while. That could also set off multiple chains of transmission from the Royal Melbourne Hospital, putting even aside... Uh, people, uh, large numbers of people ending up in furlough. And you mentioned the hospital there, Norman, and with there's a bit of modelling about what's happening in Sydney hospitals and what numbers of cases they're going to be dealing with in the coming weeks. Yeah, this is not official modelling. It's modelling done, um, in a sense, almost like freelance modelling that's been done, but looks at a possibility that there might be 4,000 cases a day by, say, the 20th of September in New South Wales and just projecting from the current doubling rate. And I think that's not the only modelling group that's suggesting that that could be a number uh, within a month in New South Wales. And based on that and the current hospitalisation rates, they they estimate that there could be, you know, I think I think the number is about 1,900 hospitalisations and about 180 people in ICU on that week in September, which is still below the capacity of, well below the capacity of, New South Wales to cope as long as the staff haven't been affected. So if you've got a few more hospital outbreaks and you deplete the staff available to ICU. What, because they've been exposed and they're in isolation? Because they've been exposed, then let's say there's a thousand ICU beds, probably more if you actually count the number of ventilator beds. But if you haven't got the staff to staff them, then then you really are moving into crisis and then you've also got very tired staff in some hospitals in New South Wales where they're carrying a lot of the burden of this so so the ICUs in western and southwestern Sydney are clearly more burdened than other ICUs in Sydney although they're prepared to share the burden and um, you could get very high tired staff in quite a short space of time. And we definitely want to do what we can to keep people out of ICU we just don't want people getting that sick. No and you know, even at these fantastic vaccination rates, it's going to be a while before you're going to see major impact on hospitalizations. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's CoronaCast. But if you've got a question, the usual place is where to send them, abc.net.au slash CoronaCast. We'll see you tomorrow. See you then. 